Hey everybody, welcome back to the Punk Tide Podcast, episode number 90, as we consider our relentless march towards 100, 200, 300, 500. How many think we can do before we die, Neil? 1,000? Uh, uh, yeah, maybe 500, I guess. I don't know. If they if they let us start going to shows again, I swear, we'll, we'll yeah, keep going. Yeah, true enough, We man. never thought we'd run out of topics, but you know, keep us locked in our home for a year, all of a sudden they get a little, they get a little thinner, right? Oh, of course they do, yeah, 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 because, yeah, once, once we going to shows again that would pretty much take up the whole a whole even show though, right talking about it even though i've got a ton of records in the last week we, and we i don't think we're gonna talk about that this week but i have got a been getting a ton of records still i i kind of like made this like oh I'll, I'll slow down once 2020 arrives well or 2021 rather and i haven't matter of fact it might be even worse yeah i think like we, a, i like think a heroin addict. I, I think, need to shoot a little more each time, right? I think we might be keeping uh, Discogs going just between me and you and the record labels <laughs> yeah, and right. stuff. I think well, I think that's what's happening. That's right, and we're going to talk a little Discogs later. Of course, I'm Tom. That's Neil. Yep. I, I don't think anybody's. I don't think anybody's still learning that. But maybe, maybe if every uh, yeah, like, well, hey, I mean, I guess it's possible, right? Yeah, yeah. maybe say, like, hey, I want to check out a new new punk podcast, and there's, let's start at episode ninety. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've heard maybe, buzz. Maybe. I've heard buzz anyway, about I'm these Tom, guys. That's, that's Liverpool, Neil. Yes, sir. Um, we're both nestled into our homes in this you know the snow is just last week we complained about the snow it's been snowing for the last week we haven't seen temperatures here above 20 so we're just kind of hunkered in and 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 just and just so the europeans understand that's 20 degrees fahrenheit not that 20 degree ponzi celsius that you guys have where you guys are freezing (laughs) celsius is like pleasant right yeah right it's like 70 or something so (laughs) yeah you guys if it hits freezing you will freak out you know we've been we've been we haven't even seen single digits you know fahrenheit for for fucking two weeks or something like that so you and i deal both live within you know pretty close to lake michigan yep so we get a ton of snow and it's cold yeah. Now, was you growing up in, in Liverpool, you got winter. I mean, did you get a ton of snow or wasn't it too much I, snowing? I can only remember it snowing two times in my entire life. No way. Two, two or three in times. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I think the last time I went home at Christmas, at Christmas and into New Year's, I mean, you know, everyone was saying how cold it was. It was like, you know, we would say it would be about freezing. It would be about 32 and everybody was saying how cold it was and shit like that. And believe me, it's not warm, but it's nothing like it is here, right? There's no comparison. And, you know, they might get a dusting of snow, and then everybody freaks out. Now, I, I believe they had some kind of major snowstorm this week, So, but I think that's pretty unusual these days. Because, like I say, growing up, I can only remember having enough snow, you know, to make snowballs and shit like that, maybe three times in my life. Oh, so, that's so crazy. Me yeah. growing up in Wisconsin, I remember the snowbanks so tall that you could... If you fell off one, you'd break your neck. Well, if you, oh, yeah, but you fall into the snow, right? And then it would just be nope, fine. No, it was just so. I mean, it just I remember. I mean, the the, the winter of nineteen seventy eight, which you weren't here yet, it was seventy eight. It was seventy. I was like in kindergarten, and it was just it snowed for like a month straight. It was like it was unbelievable. Dude, we had to like carve the roads. And I know there's a few Midwesterners here that will remember this that are old enough to remember it, but we had to pretty much the roads were just carved out of the snow walls. It was the most amazing thing you'd ever seen. I got I have pictures. Yeah, I can remember. The, I mean, I wasn't here obviously, but people still talk. I think about the Chicago blizzard of '78, maybe where like, ev- yeah, where like everything is stopped and like all the cars had to basically stop and get the people out and shit like that. You know, on Lakeshore Drive. It's funny because I was a kid, so I didn't really. To me, it was like. It was cool, but now as the adult who has to actually move all that stupid snow around. Yeah, nightmare, right? I sort of understand how bad it must have sucked. My, it's, parents, it's, my dad had like a big old Jeep Cherokee, I remember, and he was one of the few people who could get out of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But, 
to you. It's, it's 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 funny. I was so badly prepared for this when I first came to the states in '83. I was I I was badly prepared for the summer. So when I first got off the, I think I told this story. I got off the plane in like a leather jacket. Hot. It didn't get right. that hot where you grew up either, right? And it, it doesn't get that hot. It doesn't get that. It doesn't get humid. So I was in for a huge shock when I got off the plane in a leather jacket and shirt and t-shirt and stuff, and it was like 100 degrees with 100% humidity. Um, so I wasn't prepared for that. But then I certainly wasn't prepared for the cold that winter in from '83 to '84, where it was one of the coldest snaps in Chicago history. And me and my friends Guy and Chris were sharing an apartment actually in the city, and we walked around because we had nothing to do. Christmas Day, we had no family; we were just hanging about. So we just walked around the streets and went to a Woolworths that was open. And um, all I had was a stupid bomber jacket and some fingerless gloves. And <laughs> I might post the picture up because after I got in, after walking for an hour, it was so incredibly painful. My eyelashes were frozen and shit like that. And uh, it was looking back, stupid that we were walking about. But, you know, we had nothing to do, you know, no TV, nothing. I just think about that when you were talking earlier about wearing like the white shorts and the leather jacket. I just I just can't (laughs) pick you in anything but your like whitey, white shorty shorts and your uh Black leather jacket, wandering around. A young, a young Englishman lost in the suburban jungle of the Midwest. Well, that famous story about me going to the what I thought was a regular party and said it was a, it was a, like a get outside a gay disco. <laughs> and that was that's <laughs> meanwhile a, you showed your leather jacket, your leather shorts. jacket, no shirt, and uh, little tiny shorts. Yeah, yep. Like ooh, the twink has arrived. <laughs> Luckily, I had a girl with me. I was the, she was the only girl at the place. That was funny. The only beard you could grow was the girl you had with you. So. <laughs> Wow, weird. Um. <laughs> so, so, so we're gonna we're gonna talk a little discogs later. What else are we gonna talk? Okay, we're and we're gonna we're actually should we break and should we play a song? You want to talk about what the theme is today? Since I've yeah. been kind of brain dead and you sort of worked it out. I yeah, because okay, so following so, up. So Neil and I, one more thing. So Neil yes. and I are both been having kind of a bad a bad hitch at work. Me because I've just been working. I'm just on this like two week insane jag, and you've kind of had to take out a bunch of extra work too right yeah we yeah we we uh we took over another company so we've been kind of trying to migrate a twenty thousand person company into our forty thousand person company you know technologically huge deal right so we've been trying to migrate these people into our onto our network and into our you know disc images and stuff so that's uh it's been a big 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 deal yeah how's that how's that going because like monday i'm back off call and i'm a free man oh this is going to be for me this is going to be going through june july so your head explodes off. Okay. Yes. But anyway, yeah. we've been a little we've been a little quieter than usual. I don't expect that to stay that way. Right. But I know we've, we've been a little quieter on our social media and stuff, but we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, yeah. unfortunately, our stupid jobs that pay our bills sometimes get in the way of this non-paying, money-losing nonsense that we really and truly enjoy. So Yeah, that's true. And also, but also with Tom being um, on call, we can't really have guests on those weeks. So we damn. so we've been guest low the last the last couple of last couple of weeks, but that'll that'll pick up again. Right, we'll be, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's uh yeah, and we you know we always say Neil, some people just want to hear the two of us prattle on. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> yes, it's high comedy. Sure <laughs> but actually, I've got it's funny because I, I, we we have been I have been talking to some guests and I got some, you know, for me the guest thing is always. I, I listen if they're playing a big band and it's going to get a lot of people to listen to us. I love that. I'm all for it. But I also like uh, you know kind of the oddball band who might not be really well known but has an interesting perspective yeah sometimes they have more to say actually that's kind of interesting. for example well like we you know we had john bates on from the born shitsters i yes, mean sir. hardly a household name but you know he's a british expat living in japan it's definitely a little different you know had a little different take on life 
And I've got a couple of those kind of things that I'm working on that are definitely, you know, not a, not a lot of name recognition, but I think might have kind of an interesting, uh, you know, little different angle on things. Yeah, that's cool. Of just, yeah. Just, yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry. I cut you off. Tell, tell people what we're going to talk about today. Okay. Or so what kind of music, or at least what kind of music we're going to play. So like episode 89. So you, you all listened to that. I'm sure that was our like proto punk episode where we talked about, you know, what, what led into punk before it started. I did English bands like Roxy Music and Bowie and stuff. And Tom did American bands like, you know, the MC5 and Stooges. So I thought as a carry on to that today and, this is something I've wanted to do for a while because it, it really interests me is a lot of the early, you know, the earliest wave of punk bands, 70, 76, 77 and on. Some of those musicians were in bands before punk broke. So I always find it fascinating to look at the at what they were doing then, what kind of music they were doing in those earlier bands and and see how it compared to what was to come, you know. Um, so that's what we're going to actually feature on today. And it's going to be, there's going to be some stuff which people will say, well, that's not punk rock at all. Why are you playing that? But it's because, you know, the musicians that went on to be in the Dead Boys or went on to be in like Ultravox or, or whatever, this was the stuff they did right prior to the, to the punk explosion. And some of them are even the same songs, just done in a very different fashion, right? With different lyrics and stuff like that. So yeah, so buckle up. It's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting interesting show i think but i don't think you'll hear this stuff anywhere else as a matter of fact so you guys are lucky <laughs> right tom lucky eh? yep i'll be the judge of that that's what that's what i say anyway yeah well i think you've got the easier go of it actually i think the american stuff is a bit more um relatable than some of the english stuff i'm gonna play <laughs> let's just put it that well, way well it's funny because like, i've been really preoccupied so neil picked out all the songs so i can like have like kind of not accept blame for the worst of it. So if no, they're you, really bad. You've got some good ones. You've got some if, good ones to be fair. Okay, cool. Yeah. Good. I'll take blame. I'll take the credit for those. Yeah, there you go. But I won't take the blame for whatever crap you pick. So okay, so I think uh, we'll start off with one of those, um, and we are going to play. So, uh, Tom, are you familiar with the band The Only Ones? I'm sure. I, I assume you are because of the. I've heard the name, but I really am not. I don't think. Oh no! Another girl, another planet. That was the that was the big. Oh yeah, classic I know song. that song. Yeah, okay. yeah, that was that 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 was the huge one, and they released okay. three studio albums. Um, but they'd been recording before that. Oh, the main guy, Peter Parrott. Um, he'd been recording before that. He was in a band called England's Glory prior to forming the Only Ones in '76. And so this is a song by his previous band. A band is called England's Glory, and this song is called City of Fun. Drowning 
So there, that was uh, England's Glory with City of Fun. And in fact, the only ones would uh, re-record that and uh, put it on one of, I think they put it on their first studio album, which was just called The Only Ones in 77. So, uh, so is some that of the you... one with Another Girl, Another Planet? Is that the one I need yes. to get? Yep. To... Yeah, that's the classic first album. And then the second album was even Serpent's Shine. And that was a fantastic album too. They were kind of starting to lose it and fall apart by the third album. Because these were like, seasoned musicians a lot of them already and the even though they glommed onto the punk thing um and you know short fantastic pop songs right but kind of like the buzzcocks but uh they were getting tired of that whole being spat at i think on stage <laughs> they, were, <laughs> they were getting kind of tired of that so uh <laughs> but yeah so that was so that was interesting uh from so that was from 73 believe it or not that uh england's glory track and peter parrot in the in, the, in those early days he was very influenced by lou reed so a lot of people, in fact, I believe a DJ actually thought that England's Glory track was actually, was actually at Lou Reed singing. So yeah, kind of interesting. Lou Reed, who I trashed last week. Yeah. Well, he did seem like he was a complete pretentious twat, right? Every time you see him interviewed, he couldn't come off worse if he tried. Yep. Pretty unpleasant, really, on the whole. Yep. Yeah. So, so do you... Do you no, want to? Uh, no, I was gonna say. Do you want to? Do you want to read uh, uh, any any mail that we've got or anything like that? Or what do you want to? Well, what you know, I wouldn't mind revisiting. So we talked a little bit last week, and we made light of it. Obviously, the Marilyn Manson thing, right? Yes. Not punk rock, but I think it's interesting in the greater societal context, right? Yeah, it, it really so is label, with what's going his label on. Label canned him. His manager canned him. But what? But did you see what else happened? Um. With him or in in the in the wider world? Well, no, with him specifically, because I think it's it's interesting. His I didn't actually know. And his sales went like up like three hundred fold. <laughs> Amazing. Well, and and so there was another another one that we didn't talk about because we just we just didn't have time. We're just you know we're trying to we'll save the two and a half hour episodes for when we have a guest. You know. Yep. Um, there was this country guy who I, I, I swear I'd never heard of before. I guess he was a rising star. His name is Morgan Waller or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know him. But he, the same week, was captured on cell phone camera. Everybody's got a camera now, guys. Stop being stupid. Hmm. Yep. Um, using the N-word. Oh, okay. And, he, and he's a country guy. Yeah. And I was actually, see, this is before we knew what was going to happen with the Marilyn Manson thing. But this was, I, I was very interested by this because... Same thing with him. Got dropped by his label. 
got dropped by everybody. He's actually come out as very contrite. I need to do better, blah, blah, blah. But once again, his sales went through the roof after this happened. So I'm, I'm just like, oh, man, those country fans, you know, country fans, we're not racist. We're just country fans. And then they do that. But, you know, in, in the bigger picture, and the same with the Marilyn Manson thing, is this just is this is this just pushback for this sort of you know cancel culture thing where people are just showing their disapproval that this angry this angry little minority that is causing all the fuss about this stuff really doesn't have any, much clout they just have a loud voice. Well, it's interesting because you didn't mention what I thought you were going to mention. Well, we we can get to that too, but it's but it is interesting. You know, whenever we hear a lot of times about people being offended about things. It's often people being offended for other people. Right. You see a bunch of entitled little white pricks that decide what should offend the minorities themselves. Well, I, well, I was gonna, well, I was well. Actually, it's happened twice this week. So, um, well, three times actually. Cause so, I so, what, so, what's the bottom line, Neil? You you make the call. Well, country I, fans are racist, or it's just pushback against cancel culture, or a little beach. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah maybe a little of each but but i mean you saw that that actress was was fired but, right you know, oh, D- disney know, dropped her one more thing about the morgan wallen thing just yeah. because he was not talking about a black person he was not talking to a black person he was talking to one of his buddies so it was a private and, conversation okay yeah and it was like get this n-word out of here laughing you know kind of a they were out drinking had been drunk and it's it's really interesting because that word man when i see like if I'm watching a movie or something with my kids and that, and somebody says that word, I watch the way they cringe. Right. <laughs> and it's so like hard for them to hear. Right. And, and you, there's like this offensive thing. Like, I mean, I watch blazing saddles with my son and it must've been, and he, and, and he, he loves movies and he's a big comedy fan, but man, he just, he just, you know, his age, they, he just could not be comfortable with it, with the type of humor, you know? Yeah. And if you hear it like uh, in a song, like, you know, Patty Smith does a, there's yeah, a song with that with that word in it, and uh, and so and so do the uh, the Avengers. But, you're right. But the so. other but the other thing is, Neil, I hear these packs of kids, both black and white, younger kids, they use that word so freely. So it's like half the kids are highly offended by it, and the other kids aren't offended by it at all because they use it just so freely. Right. And I don't know if it's like a like a middle class, like the middle class kids are the ones who are so offended by it. Not the kids who actually grow up. And I, I don't know, man, I, it's just, it's crazy. Don't, don't use it. Don't say it. Once again, you're, you're not going to find a tape of Neil and I using that word or dressing in blackface for Halloween or blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but it's, but it's just, it's just, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre thing. And, you know, I always wonder when, when, you know, we get, you get one of these, Oh, we're so offended by this thing and we're going to try to cancel this person. And then their sales go up. It's like, are the people who offended the ones? Were they really going to buy the record in the first place? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, did they get reminded like that this person existed? Offended, I don't know. People who are very offended by the queers or whatever and want to get them stonewalled from playing the venue in, in their town, were they going to buy the record anyway? No. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that one. So I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 an odd. Yeah, that that actress from. So the actress from Star Wars. Dude, does somebody wait just happen to you a microphone? Did you yeah, I came unplugged for just a second. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, <laughs> is it back to normal? Are you okay? Uh, no, yeah. I think it's recording on the say say something. No, I think it's back. Okay, well, it's recording on something. It might be recording on the built-in mic and the laptop. My light's back on. Okay. Well, here, the <laughs> lights is on. All right. Well, I can hear you anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There. But... Oh, 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 mic cheat. Oh, oh, oh. There you oh. go. 
I'm back on mic. Okay. There you go. So uh, with the with the Maryland Dude, man, same thing. I can't believe I have problems with my microphone, considering I literally lay my mic on my fat belly like a beer. Well, maybe it turned over and a, unplugged it. My stand is so short that I'd have to basically lay on my stomach to talk into it. So yeah. Um, but maybe people have forgotten that Marilyn Manson even existed because he hadn't been in the news for years, well, right? So all of a sudden he was fun front page news. Yeah, exactly. Because, oh man, I used to love Marilyn Manson when I was a kid. I hadn't mm-hmm. one of the, you know, I hadn't bought his album on iTunes yet or whatever. So that there could be some of that. But this country guy, my understanding is he was kind of the up and coming guy. Oh, well, now he won't you guys, be. <laughs> you look at these. You look at this guy. He's an up and coming country guy, dude. He looks like Joe Dirt. He's got a mullet. Like he's <laughs> he's wearing like a button up shirt with the sleeves cut off. It's just like, well, typical. Man. Yeah, yeah, with a stupid cowboy guess, hat on. Um, no, but I'm gonna guess he drives a pickup truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I I, I don't, I'm so out of touch with with country music. I don't, I don't really care about country music at all. But and so I hate to. You know, that's kind of its own little universe. But like this Star Wars thing. <laughs> I, I, you know, I read the tweets. So this woman, the woman who was in the Mandalorian. Yeah. I don't know her name. I'd never even seen her before, but she's uh she looks like a bodybuilder, man. Like she was massive, right? She was an MMA fighter or maybe. Ah, okay. Maybe she was on American gladiators or something when they brought that back. Okay. I think I MMA sounds about right. Yeah. I love American gladiators. You ever watch that show? Is that where they were standing on a thing hitting each other with like giant Q-tips? Is that what that was? Yeah. All kinds <laughs> of, like they have the giant pyramid and you're trying to climb to the top and all these yeah tremendously large men are trying to kill you yeah <laughs> oh no you better pause i'm getting a phone call all right buddy north kent sewer this is tom north kent sewer this is tom uh, i think you got the wrong number man yep well there you go i thought you were gonna get called out for a second He's looking for Miss Somebody. Miss Mistake. <laughs> looking, for, looking for some ass is what he's looking for, and what he got is the sewer. Yeah, he got the sewer police. Exactly. I guess you can leave that in. I don't care. Uh, okay. Well, whatever. I mean, if you want me to take it out, I will. Um, but, ye- yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake, he's doing it again. Oh, same thing. Yep, same dude. Hello, North Kent Sewer Tom. Sick. Yeah, I, I, yeah. This is the wrong number, dude. I've had this number for like five years. My name is Tom. I'm, I'm on call for the North Kent sewer. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. No, that's right. Yep. He's gonna call back in a second and do one of those spoof phone uh, calls. <laughs> I guess he thought he missed out. Oh, and then I, oh. dude, you're having all kinds of problems over there. So, you know. <laughs> Technical uh, difficulties, everybody. I don't know how much <laughs> it's cut and how much of it doesn't. I really don't care. You can leave it in. Whatever. I got to answer the. I got to answer the sewer phone. That's my job. Um, but it's funny. I, you know, I, I hate Facebook so much, right? So you get these things where you go through the videos or whatever, and they automatically start with volume. Yes. That's where I had every two days. I go in there and manually shut that off. Oh, and then it, but can, it yeah. goes back on. And it's super fucking loud too, right? Yeah, yeah I'm great. at work and it does that. TV voice, not really that interested in it, and she's scrolling through her phone and constantly blaring videos while I'm trying to watch Mindhunter or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Anyway, yeah. Back to Mandalorian Woman. So I like that show. I mean, I have been watching that show. Um, three seasons in now. Um, but it's 
I thought the tweets were pretty innocuous. They absolutely were. They absolutely were. And, and and I thought in this country you were allowed to have a different opinion than other people without getting fucking crucified for it, right? The left has become so man, it's gotten so was, was it McCarthy? Was that Mac- yeah, McCarthyism? McCarthy yeah, yep. They're the ones, man. It's gotten so bad, and you know I hate to say it, but you know those of us who are inclined to support leftist policies are getting left behind by the new leftists. Right. Yeah. It's, it's craziness. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm all for, you know, it's, listen, they're a private company. They can do whatever they want. And, and, but the fact of the matter is I, you know, I'm reading tweets from one of the directors who's doing one of the things who was talking about, you know, putting MAGA children into wood chippers. <laughs> but they're literally, you know, picking and choosing based on the content of the politics of it. And it's ridiculous. And I, I, I don't know. It's not. It's not good. I mean, it's all fun and games when your side is in charge of things. But man, if the shoe's on the other foot, just be careful. You need to. You know, it's that whole concept of I might not agree with you say what you say, but I agree with your right to say it. What happened to that idea? Right. What happened to the idea on college campuses where free speech was paramount to everything? Yeah. No. Yeah. Now it's not. Now it's only free if you say the same thing that the left agrees with. I mean, and we're coming off like rightists, and we're not. We're right. Right in the middle. We're right in the middle. But yeah, yeah, it's both sides, but it just doesn't, it definitely seems like the left has been more obnoxious about it lately. Um, but, you know, and, and listen, spend your, you know, boycott, spend your money the way you want. So I, I don't know. But, well, you know, well, so go, go back, say, well, going back to that, because go, they're doing this, then I'm just as bad as they are. I, I don't know. Dude. Going, going back to that actress, what happened to her? She got dropped by Disney for making some tweets, right? Defending her right to say what she wanted to say. It's wrapping opinion, right? And she got dropped from Disney and fired from the Mandalorian, right? Yeah, but Lucasfilms is not run by Luke, George Lucas anymore. Obviously, it's it's run by Disney. It's run by Disney's Disney, yeah. And I'm I'm concerned about Disney. <laughs> I think Disney might end up owning the United States before it's all over. Well, then wasn't wasn't Walt Disney just like a massive anti-Semite? It's just it's, <laughs> the whole thing is weird. Nazi war effort. No, I, I'm not sure, but I know there was some skeletons in the closet. Yeah, but you know everybody had skeletons in the closet from that era. You know. Yeah, it's. I remember uh, reading reading about you know. And this is, of course, just because the paper is very uh, liberal and every single thing they write about Trump was negative. But it was talking about how Trump visited uh, the Ford plant, the big Ford plant in Detroit. And and the headline was literally, you know, Trump visit, visits plant, uh, you know, founded by noted anti-Semite Henry Ford. <laughs> and all I think is, I mean. Henry Ford accomplished some amazing things in his life. Is that what he's remembered for? I mean, right. is that what the history books are saying right now? Is that he was an anti-Semite? I mean, you know, he, you know, invented the assembly line. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't be an anti-Semite. I'm not, not defending anti-Semitism. That's ridiculous, but it's... Uh... I think, yeah, I think there was more to his to his life than, than that. Yes, for sure. Like, people are now saying that Churchill was a horrible white racist, you know, or whatever yeah, well, the hell it was. He... I, well, and I know we talked about this many many episodes ago but the irony of antifa going after winston churchill i'm sorry he was the original anti-fascist yeah 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 and he's german kids yep he's the reason why you have the right to say what you want to say so you know believable people's ignorance of history is truly disturbing i must say yeah and it's the whole you know the whole uh we're so far off topic the whole thing now too where our kids are being taught that our founding fathers were like the most evil racist uh sexist 
men of all time. But the fact of the matter is they were liberals of their own time. I mean, they were, they lived in their own time. They didn't live in our time now. Right. You can't hold, you can't judge them by that standard. Most, you know, most of them knew, most of them knew that they shouldn't, this shouldn't have been a slave nation. So I think there can be some accountability there, but the truth of the matter is, you know, stop re you know, reimagining these people after they're dead. We're talking about history, Tom. Why don't you go back to 1974 with Rocket from the Tombs? How does that sound? Um, I was one. I was one year old. <laughs> how did how, how, I? That was a pretty good segue, right? Um, so, for those that don't know, Rocket from the Tombs uh, from um, were they from Cleveland or from Dayton? They were from Ohio somewhere, anyway, right? Um, and they Talk were. About, go, you, know better, you probably know better than I do. Um, yeah, I think they were from Cleveland, um, and. Early, so like we're talking 74, 75, and Cheetah Chrome, who later to go on to become in the, in the Dead Boys, obviously, and Johnny Blitz, the the drummer from the Dead Boys, they were in um, Rocket from the Tombs, along with, um, what was his name? Dave something from Peru, but wanted to become in... Oh, one of the guys with... Peru, boo. Yeah. Uh, Dave Thomas, I think, was his name. Not the yeah. Wendy's guy. <laughs> Different Dave. Yeah, different Dave Thomas. But anyway, so adopted a redheaded girl and yeah, selling square hamburgers. Square hamburgers, yeah. Um. So anyway, so they they had um. Cheetah Chrome wrote a lot of the songs and went and took some of them to the Dead Boys. Obviously, later on when he left. So we're gonna play uh, Doo Doo Ain't It Fun, uh, from Rocket from the Tombs, and you will recognize it from the uh from the second Dead Boys album. So uh, here we go, Ain't It Fun from 1974, Rocket from the Tombs. Taking care of number one 
when you just, 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 just can't find tongue. Just stuck it way too deep in something that really stung. That ain't it fun? Such fun. Such fun, 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 fun. Somebody came to me and they spit right in my face. But I didn't even feel it. It was such a disgrace. I broke the window, smashed my fist right through the glass. But I couldn't even feel it. It just happened too fast. It was fun. Such fun. Such fun. Oh, such fun. Such fun. Such fun. Rocket from the Tombs with Ain't It Fun. Um, obviously a lot slower. Different vocals, obviously, but uh, you'll recognize the song for sure. So, yeah. It's, it's interesting that, that you know, that song, I mean, obviously there's not a bad song on the first Dead Boys album. There's only nine songs, right? right. Nine or ten. Not a bad song, but, but it's like, 
man, they already had that written before the first Dead Boys album was recorded? I mean, did they have... I mean, famously, the Ramones had all their songs for the first two albums. Right. And they literally went to the studio, recorded like the first 15 or whatever, and then the next 14. Um, I mean, was the, were the Dead Boys the same thing? Did they already have all 20 of the songs that would be on their albums? Oh, they had... Um, they definitely had Sonic Reducer. They had Ain't It Fun. They had... Jeez, um, what else did they have? Uh, Down in Flames. And... Uh, I'm not quite sure, but I, I know we had like... I know we brought like four or five songs into hmm. the... Uh, into the into the band with him so um but yeah we'll we'll be revisiting that one in a, in a, in a ain't minute it, ain't it fun is such a great song i mean the the, the version that the dead boys did later on such a great song yeah i mean obviously I the, mean, they, they changed the lyrics a bit the rock of the tombs one isn't quite as cutting dark. as the dead boy yellow yeah, dark yeah as the dead boys one but uh, i mean yeah. other than like a couple of the johnny thunder songs i mean that like as far as like punk ballads man that might be one of the greatest of all time yeah i agree with you there i agree <laughs> Anyway, I mean, it's right up there with like "Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory," that kind of kind of stuff. Even though it's different, topically different, but anyway. Did you get into much of the later Johnny Thunder stuff? Um, you know, I have I have a couple of the albums. Of course, I have LAMF. Man, I have a real nice pressing of that. Um, and I have on CD. I have the "So Alone." So Alone, yeah. Yeah, that one, and, and it's got some decent songs on it, including I think "Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory," but it's. His singing wasn't very good on it, I think. It's not. It's definitely not nearly as good as LAMF. No, it's not. Um, I don't know but, if it's because he just didn't have the... Because his band around him was so good for that one, or, or what, but... Well, actually, So Alone, that one go That that actually links back to the uh, the only ones that I was linking to, uh, that, I, that I played. How's that? Yeah, because uh, Peter Parrott played on uh, played on uh, So Alone with Johnny Thunders. It actually had like an it actually had an all star cast. I think uh, I think Phil Lynott might have played on So Alone. Really? Yeah. It's very stripped down. You know, it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't have, it's not like the full throttle rock and roll that some of the earlier stuff was. Right, but it, from there it got even worse. I mean, he I mean he there's a, there's a ton of Johnny Thunder solo stuff out there now. Um, solo So Alone was the was the classic one from from the late seventies. But then you know after his death and stuff, they've plundered the archives and put anything. That he, that he recorded and some of it just isn't very good at all to be fair uh, well and there was there, you know he did the famously did the band gang war was it gang, it was gang war right Am I yeah right with that? uh with one of your boys from mc5 right yeah with uh i can't think of his name wayne kramer wayne the, kramer the, the yeah Trump. yeah yeah and, but they were both such horrible junkies i guess the shows were just awful yeah well didn't they release something for um Record, record store day store last day. year. Yeah, right? I saw, yeah, I saw yeah. that because I remember our pal Jake wanted to get that. I yeah. haven't really even listened to it. I should probably check that out. Yeah. But. Uh, but yeah, so, yeah, but but they had so many. So we had one called In Cold Blood that came out in the early '80s and hurt me. Then one called Kesara Sara, and they're all just really odd. Just like just going live, a lot of live stuff, right? Yeah, just going through the archives and some of this stuff should never have seen the light of day, really, because it just wasn't very good. It's funny the record labels did the same thing with Amy Winehouse actually after her death. Basically, anything she, she touched. She put out one proper album or was two. it two? She put out two okay. two proper albums, and uh, they've been <laughs> desperately anything that she had her name on or anything since that you know before that she they've they've been releasing and stuff and some of it just isn't very good obviously and that's why it was never released properly but you know the that two that I've people seen, die. the two that i've seen do that that i thought was the most egregious and this one i'm sure you can agree because they've been doing it for 50 years and they're still doing it 
Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix, yes. Yeah. He did three three proper albums while he was alive. And there must be like 50 albums out there now. Just and some of them in varying degrees of quality. Some of them, I guess, are probably worth getting if you're, you know, if you're a fan, obviously you want more. But I mean, it's just crazy. And the other one is Nirvana. All these horrible, like, bedroom demos. And it's just like, come on. There's no way you wanted some of this stuff to see the light of day, you know? Yeah. Um, so. Well, Joy Division the same way. But so I guess I guess when you put the gun in your mouth and you pull the trigger or put the noose around your neck, you lose the ability to control your catalog. So remember that next time, kids, you're sucking on the cold blue steel. Uh, but I mean, Joy Division the same way, right? They, were, they recorded two albums, but yep. some, but somehow, if you look on Joy Division discography now, there's like 35 albums. Yeah, but are they live? Mostly live stuff. There's live stuff. There's studio recordings. There's you know stuff from before they were Joy Division. There's you know, it's just. It's, did you did you you know you were a big Joy Division fan? I was at the time. I, I they certainly were from was. Yeah, Manchester. They were from Manchester, just outside Manchester. Yeah, Macclesfield. You got uh, to see them. Yeah, you were a fan of their stuff. But did you did you follow them to New Order or not really? Um, I wanted to, and the first uh, New Order single I liked because that sounded like Joy Division. Actually, Joy Division. Uh, they'd written it in Joy Division. But then when they released their first album, was like, what the fuck is this? Well, it's definitely more dance oriented. Yeah. I, I, I actually sort of like New Order. I mean, they're not like my favorite, but I could listen to like their best of kind of thing. Yeah, they're not a, they're not unpleasant, but uh, they certainly no. they certainly weren't what uh, what what Joy Division were by by any means. But, you know, so I know Peter Hook eventually left New Order, and he like does basically Joy Division shows now, or I think he does New Order songs too. But he put the, he's put together like an all star cast. So if you go see Peter Hook in the Light, they'll play like a whole Joy Division album. And, like, yeah, front whole... to back. Yep. A whole new order album, so yeah, and I've heard very good things. I haven't got a chance to see it myself, but so um, yeah, I'm just gonna throw in because you know I love Morrissey, so I'm just gonna throw in a a, a lyric here from uh, okay. from a Smith song called "Paint a Vulgar Picture," which was about this exact topic. We're gonna and... have to cancel you, Neil, using Morrissey. Yeah, well, there you Morrissey go. Lyric. So the song goes, at the record company meeting, on their hands a dead star, I know the plans they weave, I know the sickening greed. At the record company party, on their hands a dead star, the sycophantic slags all say, I knew him first and I knew him well. Reissue, repackage, repackage, reevaluate the songs. Double pack with a photograph, extra track, and a tacky badge. So, yeah. Well what said, Moz. What is the stars? What does the star represent? Is that is that anti-Semitic? Is it a six-pointed star? <laughs> A dead star, like I don't know. oh, a dead star. Yeah, like a singer. Yeah, like a music wow. star. Yeah. I'm sorry. I yeah. sincerely apologize for my. <laughs> Where the hell were you going? It's all me. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm thinking I'm going to play another song now. How's that? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, um, on our very first show, I think, um, I got used to listen to early Ultravox, I believe, right? Okay. With exclamation point. Yep. With John Fox, when John Fox was in the band before Midyear fucked him up. Uh, John, okay, so our, our our pal sent us a picture of John Fox this week, and I'm like, he I did. have no idea who that is. Yes. I'm like, I have no idea who that is. Yeah, so he was the first Ultravox singer, and okay. um, and then he went on to do solo stuff after he left the band, and then Ultravox became super soft after he left. So, you know, they had a punky electronic kind of edge, kind of unusual, yep. right? But before they were Ultravox, they were a band called Tiger Lily, which... Might be one of the Super worst. Macho. 
band names I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> tangerine puppets, I'll tell you that. Yep, no tangerine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to explain that one after I play this song. So, <laughs> Tiger Lily recorded one song, uh, one one single. Um, the A side was a Fats Waller cover, I believe, called "Ain't Misbehaving." And um, this is the B side, which was written by um, Tiger Lily, who were to go on to become Ultravox within a year. So this is the song "Monkey Jive." from Tiger Lily from 1975.
I told you some of the songs weren't really punk rock at all, but it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting. What's what's that? A horrible name for a song and a horrible name for a band. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I usually leave the the band name shaming to you, but man, that's just not good. Yeah, it's not good, is it? But you can tell you can you can recognize John Fox's voice for sure, and then you can tell. You know, if you know Ultravox at all, you can some of the sound in that song. You can tell they would become they would become so Ultravox in time. What was his solo music like? Um, very electronic. Um, mm. and a lot of people point to him as a huge influence. Like Gary Newman points to John Fox as a huge influence. Um, Stark, uh, very almost like German. I don't know if you like Kraftwerk at all, but oh, it's, yeah. it sounds a bit like that. Yeah, Man, I think Kraftwerk came up last week too. Yeah, um, a lot of craft talk. Yeah, that should be maybe that's going to be a weekly feature. Cancel culture and craftwork talk, two weekly features. Well, they were excellent, but so good of craftwork. Um, they were up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, and I don't know if they made it, but I know that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame had their um, new nominations right this uh, couple yeah. of days ago. Anything it's, on there co- interest you at all? Well, there was a couple things that you know, and I know I've said this before, so I know I'm beating a dead horse, but who gives a crap about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It's a fun place to go walk around and kill a few hours. I mean, never I, been. I don't mind, never been. I don't mind going there. I've been there once. Yeah. Um, it was uh, 2000-ish. Because mm-hmm. I remember my, my boy, Gibson, who's almost 22, set to graduate college here, was like in a stroller. Mm, okay. So, so I think it was around 2000. And we uh, and I enjoyed it. I don't think my wife enjoyed it as much as I did. But I enjoyed walking around. And I would do it again. I would definitely go back. And, you know, there's a lot of Ramon stuff and other cool stuff. You know, Jim Morrison's report card and stuff like that. But that being said, um, it, it's not really rock and roll. Right. It's the popular music hall of fame. They have a lot of crap in there that I don't care about. But, you know, walk fast through the crap and go slow through the stuff you like. You know, whatever. So you, but, I, I, I didn't see who much, uh, too much about it. But do, do you know who was who was put up for it this oh, year? So, so okay. So the ones that were – a couple of the names, honestly, Neil, that were up for – uh, induction will tell you how little credibility this <laughs> rock and roll Hall of Fame has. Yeah, because one was Devo. No, I'm that's like, good. how okay. do you not have Devo in there? Right. And okay. why are we talking about Shaka Khan for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm not yes. anti Shaka Khan, man. Listen, if you're going to get down and make love, you could do a lot worse than Shaka Khan. But I mean, okay. it's not rock and roll, right? No, it's and not. It's of like, course it's not. Yeah. You, you can look to some of these old blues artists and say, man, that was foundational for rock and roll. But I'm sorry, Shaka Khan. <laughs> right. And one of the other ones, it, it, you know, so there was an article, a punk news article about this, and I, you know, made the mistake of wading in, making some comments. But, you know, this one woman was on there adamant about how Kate Bush is the one who was most deserving because she was so influential in all this. And I'm just like, I mean, Devo was the cornerstone of a genre of music. Right. It's again, I'm not anti-Kate Bush. I mean, I don't listen to her. It's not my thing. But, I mean, was Kate Bush that influential? Um, Pitts? I mean, in, like, late 70s or something? In England, in England, probably more so than here, right? She had a, she had a couple of hits over here, I mean, like Running Up That Hill and stuff, right? She was very young when she got famous and she wrote her own songs. Listen, like I said, I have no, no disrespect for, for, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure she's great, but is she an influential figure in rock and roll? So dude, some of so, okay. So I'm looking at it right now. Some of these, some so of these, New York Dolls, it was the New York dolls and Devo are the two that aren't in yet. That tells you that that hall has no freaking credibility, right? Yeah. So here we go. Nominees this year, Mary J. Blige. What? 
Kate Bush. She's been around long enough to... Well, we'll just wait for some of these other ones. I'll shut up and listen. Go ahead. Yeah. So Mary J. Blige, Kate Bush, Devo, the Foo Fighters. What the fuck is going on in this world? Yeah. The Go-Go's. Okay. They're worthy. Iron Maiden. Worthy. They should ask me. They should just ask me. I'll tell you who should be and who shouldn't. Chaka Khan. Like you said, no. She should be at a popular music hall of fame, but not a rock and roll hall of fame. Fella Cootie. No idea. LL Cool J. Okay. <laughs> New York Dolls. Rage Against I'm... the Machine. How how are the New York Dolls not in there? All right. How are we putting New York Dolls and Rage Against the Machine even at the same right. level? It's a machine. We're huge. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Todd Rundgren. Okay. You legend. Legend. I mean, but legend though. Legendary, right? You know, I don't want to work. I just want to bang on my drum all day. That's Todd Rundgren, right? <laughs> yeah. And Diane Warwick, who again, nice singer, <laughs> lovely, lovely singer. But do, does she belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Diane Warwick, the one in the like early '90s with the uh, the Psychic Friend Network. Uh, she might, yes, I think she was. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, that should disqualify you. Whoa, what the hell oh, just happened? There we go. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. Um, but what a strange mix of like, who's coming up with these lists. I, I just well, I think there's a lot of I think there's some politics to it. Um, oh in like that, you know, you want to be real inclusive, so that might explain some of the names. Like that Feto Cootie. I mean, I've I've seen that name before. I've heard of it. He might be like a world, world music, music world music dude. I think, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, I'm I'm sorry. Raging's Machine were a very popular band. They can be in. They deserve to be in. I get it. And even the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters have been one of the most popular rock bands of the last 25 years. Let them in. They're a popular rock and roll band. But this other stuff is crazy. And, you know, the the Hall has always struggled with wanting to be, like, have, like, a certain artistic aesthetic. So, you know, like the like the Velvet Underground or something is a no-brainer. But meanwhile, a band like Boston, who sold... 30 million copies of their record and is literally on the radio every second of the day. I'm sorry. How do they not, you know, those bands, they've always been kind of a snobbish to them. They should be in foreigners should be in Boston should be in, you know, those bands should be in. Well, I guess, listen, dude, you know, you know, those like gladiator movies. Yes. You like gladiator movies. (laughs) (laughs) You ever seen man naked? Um, You know, where you, uh, where the, they fight till like nearly death. And then the gladiator will stand there with a sword, like to the throat of the vanquished foe, and he'll look up into the stands. Oh, for the thumb and, up, thumb down, yeah. And the, he'll give the thumb up and the thumbs yeah. down. I want to be that guy for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, just sit like they'd be like Shaka Khan, and be like <laughs> thumbs down. Well, the, Iron Maiden, thumbs up. Well, the the reason I bring the reason this started right was I was talking about Kraftwerk, and um, so Kraftwerk or not? Huh? What, are they in or not? No. They were they were they were up last year. <laughs> they were massively influential. They they, they were basically the, the whole genre of music they started. Were, like wouldn't be a Nine Inch Nails without a you know without a Kraftwerk. And Nine Inch Nails is probably in. Dude, well this is this is how ironic this is. So last year they were up for nomination. They didn't get in. Nine Inch Nails did. Depeche Mode did. They both owe their careers to fucking Kraftwerk. At least, the, yeah, at least the hev- at least we're heavily influenced. See, that that's what I'm talking about. It's insane, right? And who else got in last year? Whitney Houston. Oh, yes. <laughs> Known for her hard rock hits such as 
the greatest <laughs> love of all is learning to love yourself, you know. And the notorious B.I.G. I mean, it's just, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. In fact, I don't even want to mention it anymore. It's, a, it's you know, sickening. And, and I'm sure we talked about this. I know we talked about this last year. We had a very similar conversation to this. And the, the and we were talking about, I think, that Sex Pistols letter that Johnny Rotten wrote. Yes. About how we're Perfect, yeah. monkey. And essentially, it comes down to, I think you have to buy like ten thousand dollars worth of tables or something if you get in, and there's a lot of shenanigans involved with it. Right. But ultimately, you know, the the thing I will say for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is they want as diverse a group as possible to draw people in. But I just, I just think that the people who choose, there's an episode of The Simpsons where they show like the Illuminati or whatever that really make the decisions yeah. before it goes on. It's like Mr. Burns and, you know, Krusty the Clown and all these people. And they're all sitting in a basement wearing like black robes in the dark with candles. I think that's got to be the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominating committee or something, right? Just this evil force sitting in the basement in their robes. All I've got to say, if there's a rap or hip hop Hall of Fame, will they be inducting um, like the Sex Pistols into that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> just, they, they, just out of interest. That's a legitimate. That's a legitimate question. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. I don't know. Listen. Anyway, we, we used to do this thing on the regular on the regular punk news podcast where people would write in. It, it lasted. It was kind of a running gag that ran for a while, where people would. I'd say, I'll tell you what's hardcore and what's not hardcore, because everybody'd be like, "Oh, you know, is uh, you know, Avail hardcore or all these bands hardcore?" Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I'm like, you write in, you tell me, I'll tell you whether it's hardcore or not. And that's that's what, the same thing I want to do with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. It's it's like what was the I don't remember the the famous like Supreme Court case or something, where the guy said I don't know if I can define pornography but I know it when I see it yeah yeah and yeah. that's that's me with hardcore and what band should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame so talking about that what's his name died last week didn't he George Washington Larry Flint I believe Larry Flint yes yeah. I saw that yeah I uh I was definitely a fan of some of his work in my younger years. <laughs> Yeah, man, this goes back to our very first episode with finding porn magazines and hedges. We never talked about that, though. I think that was like our demo tape that got tossed away. It was. It was. It was, I think, yeah. And bushes and things. Used to find them all the time, just shoved in hedges, just odd porno mags in the 70s. That was a very big thing. Talking of the 70s, Tom, do you want to play a song? How about something from the early, early version of the Heartbreakers? I should let you do all the segs. (laughs) Yeah, how about that? I guess. Uh, I'm definitely for a real radio job, everybody. <laughs> so I wanted to hear more. I wanted to hear more about your your wanker bushes back when you <laughs> wanker bush. That's a great name for a band. I think that was uh, that was Foo Fighters' first name. I think wanker bushes. <laughs> All right. So so um, yeah. Tell us tell us more, Neil. Tell us more. Okay. Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers. Before they were yep. Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers, they were just the Heartbreakers, right? And the original bass player was. Richard Hell. Yes, Richard Hell was the original bass player. And with that lineup, so so he he was in television, got kicked out there, yep. went to the Heartbreakers, got kicked out there. He must have not been that easy to work with, right? Cause no. Yeah. yeah, kind of a kind of an ass probably. But any because things happened so fast in that era over the course of a couple of years, because his famous album, Black Generation, came out in seventy seven, same year as LAMF. Right. So funny no, you so mention the- funny you mention Black Generation, Tom, because yes. that is what we are gonna play. We were gonna play the early Heartbreakers version of Blank Generation from the Yonkers demos from seventy five, I believe. So, Heartbreakers with Blank Generation. 
If you're familiar with the Richard Hell version of Blank Generation, obviously, as Tom said, it was the name of his first album and is probably his most well-known song. Um, very different. His other song was probably about finding porno mags in trees. It was called Love Comes in Spurts. Exactly correct. And John talked about it in the regular Punk News podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago and actually got it completely wrong, but that's okay. I was not, I was not on that one. You I were assume. not on that one, no. He, he, so, ref, he referenced it and seemed to get it confused with Orgasm Addict for some reason, um, ah, which was odd. Um, two completely different things. Completely different songs, but, you know, sort of the common thread that runs through them. Common but thread, it's funny, yes. it, it's funny, the Blank Generation song, because I remember reading or, re- reading or hearing him talk about it, and the original intention was for it to be blank generation, like fill in the blank. Generation, right. Yeah, we don't have a name for this generation. It yeah. belongs to the blank, like fill in the blank generation. Well, people just took that, you know, but now you look at it as the blank generation. That's that's what it is, you know. It's it's kind of kind of interesting. Well, the Sex Pistols kind of ran with it with the whole pretty vacant thing, right? Just that we're the generation boredom, you know, kind of thing, so... Interesting, but that Heartbreakers version, that, that there's a whole album of that. It's the Yonkers demos, and it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously mostly Heartbreakers stuff that went on to be on LAMF, but then, you know, uh, what's-his-face? Richard Hell has some of his songs on there. Yeah, I think he's got three songs on there, um, early, early versions with the Heartbreakers, and they might actually be better than the stuff that was on his Blank Generation album, because I don't know if you like that, Tom, but it gets really fiddly and jazzy in parts. It gets it gets lost in the weeds on the second half. I yeah. I, I, I I like the hits, you know, yeah. those two songs specifically that we mentioned. But yeah, it, it's a bit much. Even more so, see, I find that one even less listenable than the first television album. Yes, I agree. 
which had some really long songs on it, but man, they were so the guitar noodling was at a different level. Right. Like I don't think Richard Hell was an exceptional musician. Well, Richard, I think this guitarist was a guy called Richard Quine, I believe, someone like that, who was a I think he was a talented like jazz kind of musician, but that didn't fit with the kind of songs they were trying to do. In my opinion, you know. But Richard Richard Hell might be one of the most influential guys in all of what we've come to know as punk, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure, and, 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 and believe me, he'll tell you all about it. <laughs> See an interview with him. <laughs> well, he should come on and tell us about it. But to be fair, those the, all those punk documentaries where they interview Henry and Ian McKay and stuff like that, they probably actually should be talking to Richard Hell as well. So he probably doesn't sure. get his just deserves, just desserts, I should say. So sure. um, yeah. So what else do you want to yell about this week? I don't know. I think I think I'm I pretty much vented my spleen for the most part. All right. Well, I'm gonna. I've I, I got something. So I thought this was interesting. Um, hey, I, was looking I, oh, at, I reserve I reserve the right for more venting. I just can't think of anything. Oh, I'm sure. Second, you, so. I'm sure you will. So okay. So you know, me and Tom we're on Discogs all the time, right? And so on Discogs landing page, they had this thing to the right which said, "Oh, here's the top twenty most expensive records were sold." in December 2020, you know, before Christmas, because obviously a lot of, lot of people buying records at Christmas, right? So it was an interesting uh, top 20. Um, I think that the number one was something that sold for like 40,000 bucks or something, some like weird Jeez. newish band I've never even heard of. But really, um, but I thought we could talk about some of the punk stuff that landed in that in that top 20. Uh, I'm sorry, a, top 30, I, top 30. I believe there was a separate like top 10 punk list at one point too. Oh, yeah, I don't know. But I figured we'd go over this one. So sure, let's do uh, it. Uh, number 30 was the original press of the first Motorhead record from 1977 on Chiswick Records. Um, was that great? Uh, 1,829. Mm, bargain twice the price. Yeah. So I guess I guess on this the first the first Motorhead album was the one with like the black cover and the classic logo, yep. right? Yep. And I guess the normal one just has the, the type in white. I guess this super rare one, there was only 600 made. The type is like in metallic silver. Like prismatic, that kind of wow, thing. Six hundred though, main. You'd think less than that for that kind of money. Yeah. Um. So yeah, eighteen. Well, uh, yeah, one thousand eight hundred twenty-nine bucks. Hmm. So that was number thirty. At number twenty-nine. Uh, Misfits, horror business. That's very expensive. Can be very expensive. Seven inch on Plan Nine from nineteen seventy-nine. So many bootlegs out there. Yeah. So this went for one thousand. Uh, yellow. It says, okay. yellow, $1,897, so basically 1900 So that was number 29 on the list. Then we jump down to number nine. So that's so for punk stuff, it goes from 30, 29, all the way to nine. And this and number, number nine isn't even punk per se, but you'll, you'll like it because I know you love Metallica, right? Okay. So the first, what was the first album? Was it Ride the Lightning? The first album was called Kill 'Em All, okay. but there was there was actually other a little bit of other stuff before that. But the okay. first album was Kill 'Em All. So which one was Ride the Lightning? Because that's what comes in at that number nine. That was the nine. second album. Okay, so that comes in at number nine, and this was um, Vertigo Records, nineteen eighty nine, a limited edition of five hundred numbered because the logo was in red instead of whatever whatever the normal sleeve has the logo in. Wow. Um, this one was in red. And this went for $3,414. I can't imagine I'll ever have enough money. Because I know like like the Walk Among Us Misfits album, mm-hmm. there's like 30 different versions of slight variations of the color of the cover. Yeah. 
I mean, I, have, I can't imagine I would ever care that much, but yeah, I have the, I have the second press of that, but it's not it's not worth that much by any means. So um, wow, I'm not even really familiar with that. So on a side note, Neil, I saw that the Billboard top five vinyl LPs in the country are all currently Metallic albums. They've reissued their oh okay reissued their catalog. The top five albums all in America right now are all Metallica. Do you have Do you have all the stuff on vinyl? I have all the original early stuff. Okay. I don't see. So they put out four almost unimpeachable albums. They're so good. Kill 'em All, Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets, and Justice for All. Then their big hit, huge hit breakthrough albums called the Black Album. I sort of, I sort of like that one. The next two after that were just horrible. Maybe three. The next three after that really were horrible. I think in like 2008, 2009, they put out an album called Death Magnetic that was pretty good. And the last one was actually Death Magnetic was quite good. The last one was halfway decent. So. Anyway, but yeah, so I have all the early stuff. But you don't have you don't have Ride the Lightning with the red logo though, because if you did, you'd be a rich man. No, I just have the regular Ride the Lightning. Yeah, all right. The new the reissue, the 180 gram sounds great. Flat Mm. sounds quiet. It's great. The new the new Metallica presses are great. Great sound record. Flat's good. (laughs) Flat's a good thing to have. (laughs) I get a lot of records that aren't that flat. If we're being honest, you know, I mean. You know, that new Queers album, I've been listening to it. I love it, but I could see I see a slight bob when it goes up and down. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I did buy for my turntable. I bought one of those weights. I don't know if you've seen pictures of those. You can get a weight that, like, goes over the spindle in the middle. And that, uh, that, that seems to help, actually, of pressing it, it goes down. goes over the spindle in the middle. Yeah. So it, get, it makes sure it's it makes sure it's laying completely flat. On so you the, put uh, the record down, and then you put that on yep, top of it. Exactly. Okay. And it just, like, presses it down a bit. Yeah. I yeah. think I need a decent... A decent slip mat. I love our slip mat that we got sent by our mm-hmm. friend, our friend in Chicago, which has our faces on it. I love to watch our faces spin while I play a record. <laughs> I, we I, wouldn't I be able to see it. What are you talking about? I You're just looking at it clear, spinning. I, I have some clear records. I need to uh, put a picture of that up on Facebook because I love it so much. But it's it's a static core. It loves a, it. It's a it's a it's a lot of static. I know you recommended like a cork. Yep. Excellent. Cork. I need yep. to get. I need to get that. Yeah, I've good. got a static problem. I got a lot of heavy carpet in that back room. But anyway, yeah. so, I boy talk. About, I do digress. But anyway, so okay. So number nine was Metallica. Yep. But no, I'm not that much of a. I, I I never had that much money to be that worried about that kind of crap. And I, I just can't imagine even if I had a million dollars, I'd want to do that. Well, that would be the kind of thing if you bought it at the time and got lucky enough. You know, if I go, yeah. oh, it's in red. I'll buy that one for twenty bucks or whatever, and now it's worth that, right? So kind of lucky. I'm t- I'm just pissed that all the like a lot of seven inches that were all over t- merch tables at shows I went to forever for like three dollars are now like fifteen to twenty bucks. And why didn't I buy every single one at the time? Yeah. Yeah. You've got modest modest wishes there, Tom, don't you? It's yeah. 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 They're ten dollars now. Most people would be like, dude, stop being a cheap bastard. Yeah. But you know I'm a good shopper. Well, if you'd seen this seven inch, talking about a segue, if you'd seen this seven inch on a on a merch table, you should have bought it. Because number five on the list, which was the highest rated, uh most expensive punk single, was the first Bad Brain single, Pay to Come. Hmm. Um, on Bad Brain Records from nineteen eighty. And that went in December 2020 for $3,600. Wow. Great yep. song. Yeah. Too much. Yeah, 3600 And that's been reissued numerous times, and the sleeve yep. looks the it, same and pretty, stuff, too. It's pretty easy to get. Yeah. I, there's a current. So Bad Brains actually have control of their catalog right now. I just I got this long press release. Bad Brains got control of their catalog back, and they are in the process of reissuing all their albums. Oh, great, because all those ones in the middle that nobody cares about, those will be super well, important Well, you know, you get. and I don't actually <laughs> see eye to eye on this, because the first one is the classic, obviously. Yes. 
And I have a pretty nice version of that. It's like half black, half yellow. Looks like a Pirates Press record, you know, real good looking record. Yeah. Sounds okay. It's not amazing sounding, but I don't know that you're going to get amazing sounding from that tape. That was produced by, see if you know. Uh, the, you're going to say Rick Ocasek, but that was the second album, actually. What? Were you going to say Rick Ocasek? Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, he did Rock for Light, the second album. What do you mean the second album? What are you talking about? Rock for Light is the second album. The first album is self-titled. Cassette only. That was cassette only, my friend. No, it's on vinyl. It might be on vinyl now, but when it came out, it was cassette only. But but originally, I mean, that's their first album, the self-titled one. Hmm. But yeah, Rick Ocasek produced Rock for Light, which is also very good. But all the albums through the 80s were good. Really? Uh, I'm trying to think what they were called. Uh, The one with Sacred Love and Reignition. Um, and then the other one with <laughs> Eye Against Eye was one of them, and The Quickness. Mm. So there's at least four that were real solid. But yeah, the 90s, I mean, HR left for a while. They had a different singer on at least one album. And I heard their live shows were just awful. But nevertheless, I'm a fan of their 80s stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, that's a lot of money. Yes, it is. Um, I'll tell you what, let's play another song, and then we'll come back, and maybe I'll go over the most expensive records ever. So we'll go over that one. Dude, that's um, we sucked, man. I know. Well, you know. All I'm right. really hit the post there for a while. Uh, well, let's see if I can figure out a way to uh, to, to segue that in. Um, wow, Tom, that what you just said about Bad Brains was really sleazy. And the band we're going to play, it's a band called Sleaze. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you could save it. <laughs> um, so... The adverts, um, uh, TV Smith. Your very favorites. TV Smith and gay advert, right? So before they were the adverts, TV Smith was in a band called Sleaze. Mm. And uh, they recorded, they had demos of a bunch of songs, and they put out like an eight-track album, I think, though, like years later. And so, um, and there was one song on it that was latest uh, to be recorded by the adverts on their classic first album crossing the red sea with the adverts so this is sleaze with a song called listen don't think and then uh, see if you can figure out what song it was to become so this is sleaze with listen don't think
So there, from 1975, that was Sleaze. Um, you recognize T.V. Smith's vocals. And the lyrics are different, but that was to become the song New Boys from the adverts' first first record, Crossing the Red Sea with the adverts. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Not a lot of people know that he was in a band before before the adverts. So, so there you go. Hmm. So um, going back to Discogs. So they also have a list of the most expensive records ever sold on eBay, like a top 100 and um, this one gets ludicrous, but there are any number of punk songs, uh, punk records in it. So, at number 99, uh, you're, you're a fan of Nirvana, Tom, right? Sure. So, are you familiar with their first single on Sub Pop? It was called Love Buzz? Love Buzz, yep. Okay. Well, that comes in at number 99 in the most expensive records sold on Discogs. And that sold for $3,999. Wow. Do you know anything about this record? Because I didn't. I, it, was, it was on Sub Pop, right? It was very, very sh- small run, must be. Yeah. I think I bu- it was it's reissued later, but that must be the original press of like 500 or something. I, you know, I read, the, I've talked about, I know I talked about it. I read the Kurt Cobain biography. What a miserable prick he was. <laughs> but yeah. I still, you know, and, and I know you're not as big a, I don't, I don't think you're much of a fan of them, but man, that album came out the year I graduated high school, the, the Nevermind album, and mm-hmm. it just was struck a nerve, you know? Yeah, it's a good record. Yeah, it was a good record. I have a silver, limited edition silver version of it. Okay. <laughs> From freaking Target. Oh, it's got to be good. Yeah. Yeah. How's it play? I had to. I had to buy. The, I had to buy that. I had to buy it so bad that I bought my wife a limited edition, you know, meatloaf pressing of red <laughs> and black. <laughs> Not limited because it needed to be, but limited because nobody else wanted it. You took the words right out of my mouth, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Um. Yeah, so I, this is something that I wasn't familiar with. So in the 80s and 90s, did these small labels have something called a record club or a singles club? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They must have, right? Every month, if you sign up for it, you pay for a year or whatever. You pay 100 bucks, and, and every month get, they send you a new one. Yeah, so that's how, if you were lucky I enough... I mean, Fat, Fat Records did that. I mean, NoFX did that in, like, the 90s, right? Or okay. 2000s, Yeah, I thought maybe. I remembered and, that, yeah. But I see some labels trying to revive that, actually. Well, if you were in that sub-pop records club, back then you got very lucky because this nirvana single was in that sub pop singles club and there was mm. only a thousand and they were hand numbered so if you were and you happen to hang on imagine it being in getting that and thinking oh this is shit and throwing it away and now it's four thousand dollars <laughs> so it's funny so i see labels doing this again and i even see some of them doing like uh you pay 25 bucks a month or whatever and they send you a well curated lp every month but i don't dare because i'm like i know they're gonna send me some garbage i i'm like having like flashbacks to my record club days where i forget to send the card back and they send me like an aha record or something that would actually be better than getting weezer or something jeez i take yeah, well, yeah, yeah it's true that yeah. i, I kind of wish i had kept that aha record i wish i wouldn't have sent it back yeah there you go i'm sure you can find it at what at one of your well, antique stores so. i have the good news is i have a bunch of like one dollar cds that i saved out of the bargain bin where they cover uh take on me that their big hit anyway oh yeah there you go yeah every ska band covered that so. yeah <laughs> Uh, so at number ninety, that's, that's going to be our next episode, Neil. Ska bands, songs by ska bands covering eighties bands. I know you'd love that. It's right in your wheelhouse. I'm sure that's uh, somebody, some other podcast. I'm sure can cover that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, at number ninety-seven on this list, one of your favorite bands of all time, mm. the Queers. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's that that early one that. That, on that weird little Doheny Records You've or whatever got it. it is. Yeah, this is, uh, I guess it must be their first single uh, called Love Me from 1982. Dude, you should hear that song. It's vile. <laughs> it's got, that was their original singer, Wimpy. Was uh, it Wimpy? 
Okay. Is his name Wimpy? What was his name? Wimpy Rutherford. Yeah, that was the original singer. It's well, just like him like riffing, like being a dirty old man riffing. It's pretty good. Okay. Well, quiz it's love on, me. I mean, you can you can find the song easy enough. Yeah. Um. So on Doheny Records, yes, that goes for uh, as 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 wimpy as that song might be, four thousand dollars. Which is be kidding me. anything but wimpy, my friend. Yes. Uh, okay. Number we jump down to number seventy one on the list of Discogs' yeah. most expensive records ever. God, I found like something Casey Kasem. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have again the Bad Brains for a single, Pay to Come. Um, four thousand six hundred and thirty nine dollars. Someone paid for that. Um, I don't know when, but obviously it was before December 2020. Um, again, from 1980 on Bad, Bad Brain Records, $4,639. Now, jumping up to number 65, here's one that I used to see in the shops, and now I'm kicking myself for not buying it. <laughs> it is the first Joy Division single, the hmm. uh, Ideal for Living EP from 1978, which I think they just changed the name from Warsaw to Joy Division. And uh, so they had these songs as as Warsaw, and they recorded four of them for the Ideal for Living EP, which had like a German drummer boy on the cover, keeping up their weird Nazi fascination from back then. Mm. And uh, this now is changing hands for uh, $4,795. Okay, so you have you have some fairly valuable records in your collection. You, I do. You might have like a $500 record, right? Um, I have one that on its on a good day sells towards $1,000 for it. But you've never sold any of them. No. And you don't really have any interest in it. No, things would have to get really, really bad. So you lose it... your job and have to move into my garage with my rabbits, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'll be selling them to you. <laughs> what's your what's your um what's your threshold? Like, I mean, at some point, if you, you'd sell a record if it had a certain value, I mean, okay, so say you had this and you could you knew you could sell it for four thousand bucks, would you sell it, or you still don't care? If I had, if I, so the closest I can, I can equate to this is I had, um, an ex, a skateboard that I knew was very expensive and I liked it, but I was planning a trip to England. I had to go home to see my mom or something for some reason. And I didn't really have the cash and I sold it for $1,200 and that paid for my ticket. So you do have a, there is a, there is a breaking point for you. Skateboards are different than records though. Like records, you know, Especially a skateboard that I bought from another collector at some point, right? Um, like a couple of years previously. That doesn't have as much worth for me. Like a lot of my records, the the rarer ones, you know, I have a story of buying them. I went to the record store in 1982 yep. and bought yep. it and Pete Burns from Dead or Alive sold it to me. You know, that kind of thing. Um, sure. So that would take a lot for me to sell. Um, the The best I can do on that one is... Down in Champaign, uh, the record store I used to go to, the guy would uh, would say, you know, we'd write a little blurb on the record sleeve. And yep. Youth of Today's first record that came out, and the guy had written, oh, it sounds like seven seconds or something. So I bought it, and I never liked it. I never liked Youth of Today. I thought they always kind of sucked, to tell you the truth. They're okay. But that first Youth of Today single, 7-inch, yep. goes for big money now. So I did sell that about 10 years ago because I figured I'm never going to listen to it. So, um, I mean, did you sell it for a couple hundred bucks or what did you sell it for? I think I sold it for like 300 perhaps. Okay. 
But of course now it's probably let me let, let me look this up and probably eight hundred bucks make, now. Make, make myself sick now when I find out how much it's worth. But at the time it's um, it seemed like a great deal to me because a sure. at you the paid time four dollars for it, three right. dollars for it or something. Right, and uh, and at that time in the when I sold it, which would be in the early two thousands probably, I really wasn't playing. Uh, records very much i wasn't i hadn't gotten back i don't think i had a record player even at that point so um you know so that was no big deal for me to sell it uh but uh yeah it was the can't close my eyes ep their first the first ep from 85 uh we'll see how much that goes for these days oh no it can't be that 3600 no <laughs> Uh, no, no, I actually... I'm laughing with you, pal. I'm laughing with you. No there's, you. no, there's one for sale for 3600 but obviously oh. this isn't going to sell it, because it's saying the highest it ever sold for is 430 which is actually pretty close to what I sold it for. I think I sold okay. it for like 350 maybe. Well, it's funny, because you will see people on disc, guys, and even like on Amazon, because they'll have individual sellers, Yeah. and if there's like none available, they're like, eh, 2500 bucks. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's famously some cassettes. I know one of them even my daughter sang on um oh yeah you were saying that yeah yeah yeah. those punk news cassettes like yep. john doesn't like there's hardly any of them but john will sell like have them on his list for like a thousand bucks or something like right. i don't think anybody's ever going to pay for that but he's just you know it's just like eh, what the hell you know if somebody did right i mean i kind of wish i hadn't sold that now obviously not because i expect to get three thousand six hundred for it but just because it's, it's become such a, a record that people want and stuff but anyway whatever um Tell you what, why don't you play another? Why don't you play another song? I think you were going to do Frankenstein actually in their version of Sonic Reducer. Was that what I was going to do, Neil? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, let me, let me tell you. <laughs> I want. I know. I want to play Edgar Winter Group's instrumental hit Frankenstein. All right. So tell tell me about this. Tell me what I know about this song. <laughs> <laughs> well, so after uh, Cheetah and Johnny Blitz uh, quit rec- uh, Rocket from the Tombs. And they actually hooked up with Stiv, um, who'd been in a couple of other bands before that. And they hooked up with Stiv and changed the name of their band to Frankenstein for a very short time, probably only about six months. And then after the song, after the uh, Rocket from the Tomb song, Down in Flames, you know, where he goes, Dead Boy, Dead, you know. Um, so they changed the name to the Dead Boys. And the rest is history. And they moved to New York from Cleveland at that point. Uh, from Ohio, and um, but Frankenstein did do some demos of again probably Rocket from the Tomb songs uh, that the Cheetah had written, and so they did a version of Sonic Reducer. So that's what we were gonna. Well, that's what we're gonna play. We're gonna play the uh, Frankenstein version of Sonic Reducer from late '75, early '76. <laughs>
to their Sonic Reducer, which is probably our most favorite song, being our uh, theme song, right? Yes. Delicious. Yeah. So, yeah, so they weren't Frankenstein for very long, but there you go. But if you watch the Stiv documentary, Stiv was in a lot of weird bands before he was even in Frankenstein. You know, it's funny. I watched the first half of that and never finished it. Yeah, it it's, was, it's it not, was very, not very interesting. No, I, I, I was really disappointed in it because it almost played up. I mean, you know, we think of Stiv, it's always Dead Boys. Yep. But it almost played up his solo stuff well, as being as important as the Dead Boys well, stuff. Well, I don't think they had a lot of access to the other Dead Boys is the impression I got. Oh, uh, all right. Maybe so. Maybe you're right, yeah. Maybe you're right. Um. Bec- yeah, I, I don't know. And I don't know. I mean, he died in what, like 90 or something? I think so, yeah. That's not in France, there right? Ever, I mean, it seems like the Dead Boys, after they split up, they still would like once in a blue moon play a benefit or something, right? Or no? Yeah, or they did. They... they did a few times, yeah. So I wonder if there was like if there was any thawing of the relationship between the five of them at, at any point. Yeah, I'm not sure, but judging by what uh, what Ricky Rat said, uh, yeah, you know this. Yeah. I, they were a handful. Sounds yeah. like they were all kind of a handful. Kind of a handful, yeah, which is a shame. But uh, yeah, but, yeah. But you, know, you know, back in that era, you know, there's very few Ramones who were able to put out multiple good albums the fact of the matter is it's better to burn out than to fade away right that was kind of the slogan and dead boys made two damn near perfect albums agreed yeah you know and the sex pistols dude they made one i'd rather have one perfect sex pistols album than a bunch of crap well of course they got all bootleg too so there's a bunch of crap out there but you know what i'm saying there's give me one or two good albums oh yeah for sure yeah 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 classic yeah fear they give us one great album and a bunch of garbage you know yeah still going as well right yeah. Yeah. All right, let's get back to this list. Okay. So we're down to number 52. Tom, one of your favorites, actually at 52 and 44, the same same band, same uh, EP. Your was... ba- your boys, Negative Approach. Ah. Yeah. So Yeah, that first that first EP, I think they only made a couple hundred of and if you have the original Touch and Go press of that, it's it's pretty valuable. Yep. So it's from 1982, uh, Negative Approach 7-inch EP on Touch and Go. Uh, number 52 was $5,000. And Yikes. at 44, same thing, $5,500. 5, so, $5,500. That's still in print. And I can't I can't encourage you enough to buy it if you don't have it. It's 10 songs. It's like 10 minutes long, you know. But the original cover, the, the, the cover was sort of always like this. Uh, it was it was Reagan from The Exorcist. The girl yeah, I was going to say it's The Exorcist, right, yeah. I have I have a T-shirt with the original album cover on it somewhere around here in my enormous pile of T-shirts that I can't even find anything in. Um, but they they redid the art in more recent times, and and the new covers is just not as good. It's just I, I don't know. I'm not sure what the thinking was with it. I don't know if they, it was a legal thing or what. But but the new you know the new pressings sound great. You can get them from most a lot of you you, you can find it fairly easily. I mean you might be able to get it on Amazon. I don't know. But they only negative approach only really did two legitimate releases in there uh, while they were active. They did the album tied down, which was ten songs and like fifteen minutes long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they did the EP, which was ten songs and ten minutes long. You know, both both classic. Both. Classic. I like the sound better on the EP than on the LP. The LP was uh, wasn't the sound wasn't quite. It was different. It wasn't bad, but it was different. But anyway, yeah, maybe one of they, my favorites. Maybe they, maybe they were told they couldn't do the same cover. Oh, are they still? Which one doesn't have the same cover? You were saying the cover's no good now. The newer one is is more cartoonish. What of the EP? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I see the it. Yeah, it's got yeah. like an old tiny like woman tied to a train. <laughs> track. Yes, it's very odd. It's a I very... actually love that. I don't know why that it was such a powerful image from my youth. That that image of tying a woman to a railroad track. I swear it has like a. It's like an erotic tr- trigger for me or something. I don't know. I, I love that picture. And and from long before the Negative Approach album. Yeah. Okay, so, Tom, that, I, that that says a lot about you, mate. I guess. <laughs> I, mean, I could. It's you know instead of instead of you know talking to you, I could have been like Jeffrey Dahmer or something maybe. <laughs> yeah. Ted Bundy. I think you're too pleasant for that. Um. All right, a thirty-one on the list. Oh, a thirty-one on the list. It's kind of an obvious one, actually. One of the most famous. Uh, punk rock songs uh, singles of all time um and most famous uh high-priced singles of all time sex pistols god save the queen uh, where they threw like literally landfilled almost all of them and only a few got rescued right uh yeah i don't even know if that it's many even got original, like emi version uh emi was anarchy in the uk they they got kicked out of off emi then and then he signed for a&m and so god save the queen was a&m and uh, but then they got thrown off of A and M almost immediately, and so uh, and they just away. They buried right. They threw them in the landfill. What? Is that is this the right story? or Am I the wrong story? I'm not quite sure if they landfilled this one or the or the people in the record plant uh, declined to press it. Because I know there was one where literally only a handful of the original survived, and they are very very valuable. Well, yeah, I mean, so the stories say that there's only nine. Oh my God! How much? What's the price on that? Well, th- this th- okay. So this is going to show up on the list three times. Okay. So this one, number thirty-one, is six thousand dollars, which surprises me. Um, some of the other ones later on, you'll st- you'll be more realistic. But the six thousand dollar one, because obviously it's been bootlegged numerous times, and people try and sure. pass off the original as as I mean, uh, you know, bootlegs as the original. Good versions of yeah. But it comes in the, you know, it didn't even come in a picture sleeve, right? It was in the A&M, like, factory sleeve. Uh, and supposedly, this. when, um, I, I, I can't remember the full story on this one, but it was like when A&M closed uh, one of its factories or something or, or closed its offices, they gave each of the employees a copy of this. Like, as a, as a, good, as a goodbye, thank you present. Yeah, so so some of these original ones that you know are original, they still have the letter. They come, you know, they came from the A and M bosses or whatever, saying thank you for your service. You know, in regard, you know, you know, here's a copy of this record that we never released or whatever. So, hmm. um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so number thirty one was uh, Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen, six thousand twenty four dollars. Um, tied at number thirty one with the same price. Uh there <laughs> was two other records, two other punk rock records, funnily enough. The Gorilla Biscuits' first EP. Wow. On what some, hardcore kid can afford that? Right, on some kind of weird... So they pressed it on yellow, but there was some kind of mess at the pressing plant where it came out with like a yellow kind of light cream kind of. So it's not bright yellow, it's kind of a light cream. So this is just one of those ones. It's rare just because it's it was a mistake. Yeah. yeah. And this was, again, $6,024. Uh, that was, I don't know what year that would have been from, uh, but it was on Revelation, right? In the 80s again, right? Yeah. And that's still in print on Revelation. Yeah, there you go. And then, again, for the same price, funnily enough, is a Judge single. Uh, a Judge album, I'm sorry. Uh, Chung King Can Suck It. Uh, I'm not familiar with Judge. Do you know them? They're another New York hardcore band. They're kind um, of a foundational New York hardcore band. I mean, I know who they are. I'm just second not, second just generation, you know, yeah. not like agnostic front, but yeah, yeah. same I mean, same. Maybe a little newer than Gorilla Biscuits, but same kind of era. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm familiar with the band. I just don't know the just don't know the record. Chung King. Yeah, I don't. Suck e- I don't either. I never really got into like that second wave of New York hardcore stuff. I like Gorilla Biscuits, but like Judge and you know, I, I just yeah, I'm not really into all that stuff. Yeah. So this again was six thousand twenty-four. Um, hundred and ten copies on white vinyl, I guess numbered. So I guess that's mm. why that one was rare. And then that same record. Shows up again at number twenty-four. Judge, uh, six thousand five hundred and six dollars. So the judge. So the fans... price is pretty minimal. So like it's kind of compacted. There's a lot right. of six thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Six thousand. Oh my gosh, I had, I probably had, my first six cars weren't six thousand dollars. Right. Yeah, six and a half, six and a half grand. Yeah. So um, okay, napped up number thirteen. We got God Save the Queen again. Sex Pistols. Um, this one comes in at $8,031. And then the most recent one at number four in the list, Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen. And this is more like it. $15,060. Yikes. Yep. So, but that one makes sense. I mean, if you if you think there are only nine of them in the world, that one kind of makes sense. You would think it would be getting up to that. And I saw one recently sold at auction for, because this is just on Discogs. So I sold saw something one that sold at auction for eighteen thousand. You imagine like like was that Southby's or Sotheby's or whatever it is that mm-hmm. famous English auction house like they're selling Sex Pistols records. Right. Yeah. It's That's... like now we have the Queen's bedpan, and we're moving over to the Sex Pistols record. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Huh. So uh, so yeah so that was the number the most expensive punk rock record sold on on Discogs Sex Pistols God Save the Queen fifteen thousand dollars. So. You know, you remember a couple of years ago when Michael McLaren's son like burned all that memorabilia? <laughs> yeah, stupid prick. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder if there was any of the copies of those records in there. Oh, I'm sure there was. Yeah, there probably was. Right. Yeah. Uh, stupid idiot. Well, how are you going to seg from that, pal? Uh, well, friends of the Sex Pistols at that time <laughs> were the Vibrators. Actually, no, I can do I can do a better job than that. Scrub that. So the Sex Pistols on the early demos, uh, Tom, um, uh, with Dave Goodman. Who was rumored to have been actually playing the guitar instead of Steve Jones? Mm, I read Dave Goodman's biography. It's yeah. uh, just okay. Do you remember? Do you remember who was who they said actually played the guitar on in the first demos on the Dave Goodman demos instead I don't, of Steve Jones? I don't. Okay, but it, was I know a, that, it was an English. A lot of people prefer the Spunk demos to the album. Yeah. Well, the rumor was that that wasn't Steve Jones playing on those early demos. They said it was a guy called Chris Spedding, hmm. um, who'd been in like rock and roll bands from the from the 60s on i believe and so steve jones definitely didn't mention that in his biography yeah i'm sure i don't believe the goodman biography i I didn't read that he didn't say that well anyway that was a rumor but anyway that leads me to my next record which uh chris spedding um did a single with the vibrators their first Hmm. single uh Uh, yes yeah called pogo dancing from 1976 early 76 so this is the vibrators with pogo dancing Hey, this is your chance to do the pogo dance. So get your both feet off of the ground. What goes up must come down. Pogo dancing. Jump up and down Pogo dancing 
dishes up there still. Oh, dancing. Chris Spedding and the Vibrators with Pogo Dancing. So and, I had uh, never heard of I had never heard of Chris Spedding before, Neil. But I, so you know, I still do some stuff for New Noise where they'll send. I'll do news news press releases, news pieces. Mm-hmm. I use my proper Christian name actually, um, but um, I got one. They they did something last year. Chris Spedding and the Vibrators did something again last year. Oh, that's you right. Know, you recorded with them again. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. We were talking about the Vibrators because it was like I think like a sequel to the to that song. Okay. Or something. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny because we were talking about that because the Vibrators tour with like no like one original member, but they I, still like I think the drummer. Together. Yeah. They'll still like get together and make music. Oh yeah, yeah. They still do studio, studio music or whatever. So yeah, and they're not. Unfortunately, I give them a chance and they're never any good, which is a crying so shame. This is, this is two um like shows in a row where we play all old stuff. I think we're gonna have to make a concerted effort to play some modern stuff. Yes. Of course, you, you know, I'll let people know that we, you and I had a brief conversation before this. I said, hey, you want to do like your favorite three songs of 2021 or something? And you're like, I don't have any yet. <laughs> yes, I don't, I don't have any. I've only got, I think I've only heard two releases from 2021 yeah, I've got, yet. I've got three 2021 records right now that I'm spinning that I'm pretty high on, I got to say. No, that's cool. I think, I, th- are, I, think I know what two are, of them are. What's the third one? From our pals at Pirates Press. Uh, yeah. That was be, that would be the new Antagonizers ATL album. And that uh, forty five adapters, yeah. But that's that's an EP, six songs. Um, and the other one is my dudes in Detroit, the Bad Assets, who I'm a big fan of. They just put out their third album, and it came out actually at the end of last year. But the vinyl didn't come out till this year, so I just got it last week. Man, that is a terrible name. That's almost that. That's uh, it's almost on the on the, on the path of a, Tiger Lily. Yeah. 
I think that's actually a great name. Bad, bad assets? assets? It sounds like a bad seventies like like local band you'd see at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> they're they're a great uh street punk oi band. Yeah. They might All their to... songs are about like being from Detroit. It's just, they just put out their third album. Anyway, I'm 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 actually working on getting the singer um to come on the show. <laughs> well, I'll be sure to tell him I think his band name sucks. <laughs> He is twice your size and would use he could use you to wipe his ass. He might agree with me. He might say, Yeah, we do have a bad name, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I think if you're from Detroit, I mean it's just the the concept of bad assets, you know, like you're holding uh, you know, things that aren't worth anything. You know what I mean? I, I think it's I think it's an appropriate name for a city that's sort of fallen on hard times. But anyway, I'll tell you matter. what, people write in and tell me, Am I wrong? I think bad assets is a terrible name. See, I think it's I think it's a great name, but it is you're right. That's because you're frightened of him. You would be too if you ever saw him. They, they, they... Well, lucky I live a long way away from him. So <laughs> anyway, no, they're they're actually one of my favorite Detroit bands, and they're doing like the they're in that little like you know real subgenre where it's just like uh, street punk street punk oi thing. So they these bands tend to play like these festivals and stuff. Like one of the best ones is in Detroit, is in Chicago every year. And what the heck is it called? Yeah, I know the one you mean. If they have it at the Cobra Lounge. Yeah. Yeah, they haven't had it the la- last year they didn't have any but you know, like uh like the old firm casuals played one year. Right. I mean they get some good they get some bigger bigger names in there and I know the bad assets have played that. Um and you know that but it's just like a weird little subgenre. You know, it doesn't draw huge crowds, but when you put a bunch of them together you can get a real good you know good Yeah, and crowd. Cobra Lounge is pretty damn small. So yeah, it only take a couple of hundred people to, to fill that place. People or three hundred people or something. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Where are we at, Neil? We need to adjust. I think we're probably gone long enough. We've probably rambled on long enough. I would love how we start someplace and where we end up. It's usually quite a journey. It's been quite a journey. Thank you for going on this journey with us, everybody. Because yes. I tell you what, it almost made me want to run away. <laughs> What's that, the journey? Yes. Now, Tom, talk us into our last song today. <laughs> tell me what I picked. I can't remember. Yeah, runaways. Come on. Keep up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep up, man. I'm doing my one best here. Is, one of these things is not like the other. So we we were struggling. You know, the problem is all these bands, like before they were bands, you read it, you know, you read the Wikipedia page, you read the biography, you're like, oh, you know, Joey Ramone played drums for a band called Sniper, and Johnny Ramone and Tommy were in a band called Tangerine Puppet. Well, none of these bands ever recorded anything. Yeah, just like just like in England, right? The Sex Pistols were the swankers before that, yeah. but they never recorded a damn thing. Yeah. Even like the rocket from the rocket from the tomb you know it's it's really hard to find good quality studio recordings so there's a lot of live stuff out there that sounds horrible and but so we were having a hard time we kicked around maybe playing the band that marky was in before the ramones which was called dust who was kind of more of a clunky metal kind of a thing not horrible but more of a metal thing but actually predating punk rock right i think the runaways were mid 70s uh like yeah 75? we're talking yeah 73 74 75 yeah Actually, did you see the movie? I did. I really liked it. Yeah, yeah it, was, I, it was good. Um, I mean, I don't know how hundred percent accurate it was. Yeah, uh, uh, that girl from those bad, those sissy vampire movies. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Stewart, yeah. Chick. That's her. Yeah, she actually did like, a really good job. I thought. Playing Joan Jett. Um, and I think it was was it Dakota Fanning that played Cherry? Yeah, the one with the weird eyes, right? I don't remember, but it, she was. So I actually read the book that that was based on. It was called Neon Angel. I found it at like uh, Goodwill for like two bucks. The Cherry Curry uh, biography. Mm-hmm. Biography. It's interesting. You know, the the craziest thing to me, as someone who's raised, well, I'm still raising a t- I still have a 13 year old teenage daughter, is 
that these kids, they started this band when they were like 15. Right. And they were like running wild, doing drugs, having sex, just like at 15 years old. Well, and they were these, famously put together by, uh, what the hell was the guy's name? They're like, uh, I remember a couple of years ago, they all weird manager. He, they hated him. I mean, they all, the Sherry, it's Sherry, yeah. right? Sherry Curry, Remember, Sherry Curry, yeah. Because she, she kind of left, like on the second album, Joan Jett sang most of the songs, or like half the songs. They kind of phased her out because she kept questioning, like, where's the money? Where's, you know, because they were playing huge shows, doing these huge tours, and they never made any money. And what is the name of that manager? Kim Fowley. Kim Fowley, yes, yep. but I guess he was he was just abusive. And in her book, she talks about they just lived in fear. He was just like a slave driver to them. But uh, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting story, and definitely definitely ahead of their time. Um, but they were just teenagers; they were so young, and it's uh, like like Cherry Curry was like David Bowie obsessed. Okay, yeah. Like and and uh, Joan Jett was definitely the musical force in the band. Like the creative force, but also had a uh, uh, young Lita Ford. Yep, that's right. Who would go on to have a bit of a solo career playing like heavy metal. So, anyway, so yeah, this was so the, talk about ahead of their time, and I think this definitely was like a proto, you know, Riot Girls kind of thing, even though they didn't necessarily have that same sort of spirit because they were trying to sell their sexuality ultimately. But yeah, let's play the biggest Runaways hit. This is from their first album, self-titled album. This is Cherry Bomb.
all knew that. Cherry Bomb by the Runaways. And I'm sure even if you didn't know it was exactly that, I'm sure you've all heard it like in passing in movies or whatever. I wondered what it was. So yeah, the Runaways. Yeah. I've actually got this. I've actually got the seven inch somewhere. I think I got it like a Japanese pressing or something of that. Yeah. Hmm. See the only thing of theirs I've got. Have you you got any of their albums or anything? You know, I have like, I have some Joan Jett. I don't. I would actually like to get that first album. The second one was kind of, it kind of fell off. But that first album is classic. It had a lot of good songs out, actually. Now, the the funny thing is that Kim Fowley guy, the old, uh, what do you got? Svengali, right? Svengali, like yeah. manager. He completely, so. I think he died a few years ago, and then they kind of came out. and He did. Yeah, he did. He died a few years ago, and he was really sleazy in the movie. But um, funnily enough, he actually put together a uh, a fake, like, punk band. Uh, I actually have their album um, called uh, Venus and the Razorblades. So that came out in like 78 and it's uh, it's typical like what at the time some like Americans thought that punk was. Uh so again, you know, Venus and the Razor Blades. It's got a song called Punkarama on it. A song called like eating dog food, uh, just nonsense really. Um but they actually do a version of Big City which uh, the Dead Boys covered as well, I believe, right? Hmm. I know somebody covered somebody else covered that. Big City ain't too pretty. That could have been on the live album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's funny. Venus and the Razor Blades. Um, all right. All together. Yeah. See, I just thought all mid-American, like, people in America just thought, like, the exploited were, like, every punk band. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Like, big Liberty Spikes and... Yep. Yeah, and they just spitting at each other and, like, puking on each other and stuff. Yeah, and slashing each other with razor blades and knives. Yeah. So what have we what have we learned today, Neil? Anything? We've learned that... Uh, People used to hide porno mags in hedges in the 70s. Yes, we already knew that, though. In um, the 80s. Yeah, well, for 80s for you, perhaps. It was 70s for me, yeah. And uh, some some punk rock records go for lots of money. We've learned that as well, apparently, right? Rest in peace, Larry Flint. And uh, Kim Fowley. <laughs> and the, and the career... I, was more, I was definitely more influenced by Larry Flint. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And the career of uh, that country guy and Marilyn Manson, apparently. Yeah, yeah. To be continued. Yeah. Well, it's canceled next week. Probably us. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Just wait till the hand number eighty nine. Um, yeah. So. There you I go. think that's it. Till next time. Who knows what we'll be talking about next time? You just never can tell, can you? You never can. No. So. Uh, anyway, stay free. Listen, everybody. Keep a little mark in your heart. And uh, say it, Tom. Smell you later. Yep, smell you later. Bye-bye, everybody.